0: Amen. Amen. Good morning, Identity Church. Well, as I left y'all last week, we didn't get all the way through, you are so loved. So I guess this is part two, you are so, so loved. And so if you're so, so loved, then that means you're you're loved loved, right? So what I, what I wanted to do is I'm going to do a small little recap because I want to make sure everybody's on the same page because we need to get these foundational things set up before we can actually start talking about the other pieces in fact i brought this up last week you are loved because you were chosen in fact if you go to john chapter 15 excuse me verses 12 through 17 jesus is trying to tell everybody what love looks like and he uses he uses a term and I really wish King James and and all of the all of the writers, uh, especially Saint Jerome, I wish all of them had changed the word love to something else when there was a difference. Because a lot of times you'll be reading the Bible and you'll look at it and you'll say, Oh, well, that's the same love, God's kind of love versus the brotherly kind of love. And you'll you'll create this opportunity to just lump them all together. But Jesus actually used different words here to to basically say different things. He wanted to point out some things to us in his word because he didn't want it to be just, well, you know, you're loved, you know, and and love is kind of like, like, I love pizza. I mean, how many people when you go, Oh, we're going to have spaghetti tonight. Somebody goes, I love spaghetti. And Amy raises her hand. And the thing is, is that you sit there and go, oh, I love spaghetti. But you know what? That is actually a different kind of love. It's not brotherly love. It's not the God kind of love. It's actually, you're lusting after the spaghetti, Amy. Just letting you know, Man, Amy's got some lust going on after some spaghetti. And some berry white comes on, and she's eating her spaghetti. But see, that's the thing that you have to understand is that it's a different kind of love. Because our kind of love comes in many different forms. I mean, I love my mom because she loved me first. Right? Now, I know plenty of people that didn't have a mom or they had a bad mom and they don't love their mom. They don't choose their mom. They don't call their mom. They don't don't write their mom. They wouldn't even think of their mom if their mom was on fire. That is because they haven't understood what love looked like in that relationship. And a lot of times people only know one or the other type of love. They know lust. I mean, everybody knows lust. It's like, man, woo! Look at that girl, or look at that guy. Woo! Well, that's that's lust. That's not love. And see, it's a form of of the of the Greek there, eros. But what we have to understand is, is that lust is a thing that sometimes draws us to things but it doesn't keep us there. You gotta understand that. I got news for you. Hey, Dad, the other day you, you were telling me that you, uh, that you drove a Corvette, right? Before you drove that Corvette, would you have said, man, I'd like to have a Corvette? Now he's shaking his head no. I drove one before. Okay, before you drove the first one, <laughs> would yes you so have said, I'm man, right. yes, yes. I"? Dad's sitting here shaking it, yes. Before I drove one, I would have wanted a Corvette. I mean, if I had all the money in the world, I would just have one just to sit out in the front lawn and just go, you see my my Corvette out there? That that would be yard uh, ornament. It'd it'd be, I mean, it would look like a redneck Christmas outside if I had all the money in the world. I'd have all kinds of stuff that's just sitting out there in the front yard for people to see. But see, that's what you have to understand about the the love that you have for something is it may not stay around if it's just lust. Lust is really good. I've met some really pretty people that once you actually talk to them, oh my gosh, get me away from them. Because they do not have Anything other than their looks. You know, everybody talks about how beauty is only skin deep. Yes, there is there is that. But I've also known people who were beautiful that also were beautiful on the inside. And you know why? It's because they didn't love with a like. They loved because they would choose you. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that they, they love with this, hey, you know, it's just like my, my dad over here. Well, if I go, well, Dad, do you like Alabama football? And Dad goes, yeah, I like Alabama football. Well, what do you think the season's going to be like this year? Well, you know what? I can, I can find some common ground. We can have some discussions. Man, that's really good. But what if somebody else came in here and they said, I said, do you like Alabama football? And they go, I hate Alabama. I'm an Auburn fan. I I think Alabama's the worst thing on the planet. You know, I work with a ton of people who graduated from Auburn. And during football season, we spend a lot of time sniping at each other. It's like, you know, oh, yeah, so I, I hear you got this quarterback coming back. Well, maybe he'll throw a couple of interceptions to us this year. You know that those are the things that people try to find is commonality. They try to find how, is there something in this person that I want to embody? See, that is a brotherly love. That is not the agape kind of love. In fact, it says here in John 15, 12, it says, this is my commandment that you love, that word is agape. That word agape is the love feast. I, I like the word smorgasbord just because it, it has a it just sounds interesting, right? Sound like it might taste good. It sounds like it might taste good. We would go to, I remember every once in a while we would go to the, some of these places that would be that that would be the the you know you, you go up and you get your tray and people would say it's a smorgasbord. It's used a lot up north, but it's a slang term. And that term just means a wide variety of choice. It's a buffet. It's like going to Mr. Wayne's over there and just piling your plate up full. See, a smorgasbord is the love feast. It's the agape kind of love. It means that I could have chosen anything, but I chose you. That's what agape means. It means that I don't just love you because you were the only thing to love. It meant God loved you even though he had all these other choices. See, the agape kind of love is the kind of love that says, I chose Charlie even though I had every other opportunity to choose something else. It means that I had plenty of choices and I decided to make those choices. See, that's the God kind of love. That's the God kind of love that says, hey, I may not like you, but I still chose you. And it says, this commandment that you love, agape, you choose one another as I have loved you. Greater love is has no, I'm sorry, greater love has no one than this, that they laid one's life down for a friend. You are my friends, and if you do whatever I command, no longer will you be my servants, because a servant doesn't know what the master's doing. But I have called you to, to be friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. See, what we have to understand is, is the agape kind of love is so that someone else bears fruit. See, It's opposite. See, we think of a love feast and we go, what do I get to eat? What do I get to ingest?" But we choose others in order to have them bear fruit. It's contrary. It's so amazingly contrary to anything that you've ever had. This love feast is so amazing that it really has very little to do with you. I don't choose people because it's going to benefit me. That's called like. If I choose someone to benefit me, it's because I see something in them that's going to benefit me. I want y'all to understand this. I feel like sometimes that there's no words that I can use to explain this in a way that, that makes it drive home. But you got to understand this because if you don't, then what you're going to do is you're going to go around and you're going to find people that you don't like and you don't know how to choose them. And God's going, you need to go choose them because it's for them. It's not for you. See, we make relationships based upon how it affects me. But God said, no, choose one another. Choose them. Because if I don't choose Matt and Amy, then they're not going to bear the fruit that I have to to give. I can't plant a seed in somebody I don't choose. Same comes for me. Even though I may go, hey, I don't want to be chosen. By golly, don't choose me. Well, you know what? Choice dad has nothing to do with what I want. If dad chooses me, I can sit there and go, nope, not gonna do it. Arms length, stay away from me. And dad says, I still choose you. You know, that's the beauty of of the prodigal son. See, the prodigal son, prodigal just means that he was, he was like contemptuous. He went out and did bad things. That was his nature. And the father, every afternoon, went and sat on the front porch and looked for the prodigal son. He chose. When the prodigal son came running home, he ran ran out there, threw his arms around him, put a coat on him, gave him a ring Killed the fatty calf. It's because he chose the son. And the son didn't choose him. The son said, I'm going back home so I can get fed. Do you know in that story, the prodigal son never changes because it wasn't about the son. The son was not choosing the father. The father was choosing the son. And because he chose him, he could put into him. And maybe, maybe we can change his name from prodigal to change his identity into being my son. See, that's what you have to understand is that we choose people because we want them to bear good fruit. But Jesus also talked to us a little bit in two verses later. And he talks about this thing called phileo. And it's the brotherly love. It's like, you know, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Right? Everybody loves the city of brotherly love. I know. I've been there. But John 15, 18, and 19 says, if the world hates you, and this world is misio, and this word means to detest Or to love less. It says if the world hates you, you know that the hate it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. It would like you. You know why? Because you're exactly the same person. You're the same type person. Man, people love to commiserate around the things that are in the world. They love to sit around and talk about all the things that make them that, that make them a part of the world. You start talking about Jesus in front of somebody who doesn't really talk about Jesus, guess what? They get kind of fidgety. They don't like the conversation anymore. They don't like that I've been changed. Why? Why is it? Well, it's pretty simple. The simplicity of it is that Jesus took you out of the world. So you are no longer like them. You're no longer their brother. Now you become their neighbor. You know, this this right here became more and more apparent to me. See, when I lived in sets of houses in Forestdale, and then I lived in my first house over in Gardendale, I lived in neighborhoods where the neighbors came by and said, hey neighbor, I mean, there was times where I actually, you'd go outside, you'd see it in your neighbor's house, and they'd be naked. And they still talk to you. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. I would have neighbors that would come over, lock their keys, and then they would sit on your front porch, and you'd get home and you'd be going, what in the world is going on? They're in my they're trying to come in my house. What in the world happened? Well. I thought, well, that, I guess that's just the way neighbors are. I moved into Longwood, and then I moved into this neighborhood here in Grandview in Alabaster. My neighbors run from me. I'll be like, hey, neighbor, hey, <laughs> What in the world just happened? They don't even wave. They're just like, oh, God, i got to get out of here. Do you know that, that this, it became so apparent to me that the world is becoming more and more like that. We're becoming less like brothers, because brotherhood is good. There is nothing wrong with it, especially if you're a Christian. Agape and phileo needs to be something. I got news for you. I like all of you. I do. I like all of you. You know why? Because we're brothers and we're sisters. We sit and talk about the same things and we have the same likes, and we do the same things. I'm not trying to like you. I chose you, so that's that's not the the purpose or the point. The point is, is that I like you because we all are the same family now. We can sit around and talk about Jesus. It doesn't matter. See, what I want you to understand here is that the world doesn't see you like that anymore. They see you as a neighbor. Somebody that I don't have to associate myself with. I just have to go... Let me see how fast I can get in my house before they throw up their hand. You know it was so bad. It was a couple weeks, <laughs> a couple weeks ago. I was coming out, and the neighbor next door tripped, fell, rolled up, jumped, and ran inside his house to get away from Heather. That's pretty amazing. See, that is not brotherly love. That's your neighbor. See, I choose my neighbors because they don't like me. If I could ever get a hold of the dude, I'll I'll finally get a hold of him and I'll be like, I'm choosing you. But see, that's the the problem that we end up having is the fact that we have to choose our neighbors because they don't like us. It's truth. I wish it was different. But what I want you to understand is is that the reason why they don't like us is because they see us as different in every other way. You know, what's really sad to me is the fact that I know that this guy next door is a Christian. But you know what? I found out that denominationalism, if that's a word that I can use with everybody here, that word basically puts separations even in our brotherhood. I mean... I got news for you. I I consider myself to be Pentecostal in the biblical sense, but most of the people think that it's I'm Pentecostal in the mountain sense. Where I'm up there and we're like dancing around, drinking out of moonshine out of, you know, and strychnine and got snakes. <coughs> die, die, thank you, Jesus. I mean, that's not Pentecostalism, if I can use that term. I believe fully in the whole Bible. I believe everything about it. I know that there's context around each piece of it. But you know what? I can go out and I can find somebody that's Methodist and Baptist and free will Baptist. And then not just Southern Baptist, but you have, you know, like the the Southern <coughs> Black Baptist. And then you end up having the, the, the Northern Baptist. I mean, you've got... You got more denominational churches, even out of the same names, and they all don't associate with each other. Well, you don't believe in, you know, taking communion with the wine first, or you don't use wine at all. Do You know that I've actually been in conversations with people about good things that Jesus was doing in my life, and they changed the subject and said, do you drink wine or not wine? You just drink grape juice. because if you don't drink wine, then you're not really drinking Jesus' blood. And I'm looking around going, how do we get here? See, what we do is we create systems and classes to separate ourselves because it feels better. because I'm really going after like rather than choice. Because I can sit there and go, well, drink all the wine you want if that's what you believe that Jesus has. But I still want to be your brother. I want to like you in other ways other than the fact that you might be a lush, okay? (laughs) I'm kidding. No, I'm not. Sorry, not sorry. But see, this is what I want you to understand is that we don't normally find ourselves in the middle of love unless we're listening. We don't even know how to love unless we've heard love. See, love is something that you have to experience first. You have to be chosen before you can choose others. It's, it's very, it's impractical for people to think that they know what the God kind of love even looks like unless they're listening to God's love. In fact, the Pharisees actually in John chapter five cornered Jesus and started talking to him about John. John the Baptist. Not John the Beloved. But they had gotten John. They were trying to to keep John under wraps because John was, he was going after Herod. He was going after all these different people and telling them, hey, you got to repent. And they didn't want to. They had recreated the law in their own image so that they could live by it. See, the law was not supposed to be for us to live by. I mean, in fact, if you're Gentile, it's not for you at all. But if you're a Jew, it was supposed to show you you got sin. And oh, I sinned, I've got to do something about that. I've got to constantly change. I've got to constantly change. The law told me I broke it. I mean, most of you, when you came over here, you broke the law five times because it's only 15 miles an hour on the road up here, okay? And you were hoping that the police wasn't going to be sitting up here at the pool. See, the law is still something that we have boundaries that it keeps telling us how you descend. Every time I'm driving down the road, Heather slaps me and goes, hey, the speed limit, or there's a cop. I'm doing 45 miles an hour in a 45 and she still slaps me and goes, ah, you know why? It's because we're all scared to break the law. No, because she likes to hit you. Well, she does like to hit me. That's that's one thing. But I want you to understand that the law was created as a boundary to show us that we're crossing the line. God created it because he needed his son to come through the bloodline of Israel and they were going nuts because they had an Egyptian mindset. So he was trying to get Egypt out of them. But see, the law came in and showed them, hey, you don't, have, you don't have what it takes. So you know what they started doing? Let's change the law. Oh, let's interpret the law differently. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all that said, hey, we can do it. Because now we, we've got enough money because we get money from people. We can pay for all of our sins to be kept clean. The poor little fisherman down here, he didn't have enough money to be able to sacrifice as much as he needed to. See, that's what the Pharisees kept trying to do is go, well, see all these unrighteous people over here. And John looked like an unrighteous person. In fact, he wore camel hair like toga, had hair that was all crazy. If you've watched The Chosen, That dude's pretty close to probably, in fact, that guy is probably cleaner and better looking than John. I'm just going to be honest with you. John was a gruffy guy, okay, dirty. But see, that's what we have to understand is that the Pharisees was into the appearance. They were into what they saw. Did you follow these certain steps? In John chapter five, so the Pharisees, We're talking about how how they were not believing what Jesus was saying. They were believing in their own laws. And Jesus says in 532, when it comes to John, there is another who bears witness of me. Talking about the Holy Spirit. And I know the witness. So I want you to understand here, this word witness is martio, which means speak well of. It's the same word for martyr. Do you know that, the, that martyrdom has nothing to do with somebody being killed? It has to do with what somebody said about that martyr that caused somebody to go, we got to do something about this. The act of Stephen dying did not affect anything that day. It was when everybody started going around and going, Stephen was preaching to him and he got stoned. That's when the church exploded and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm going to go speak well of this guy. See, it's the after effect. We always think that martyrism is, well, somebody got martyred. No, martyring is this person did so good that they killed him. That's what martyrism is. It's the words About what they did and why they died—that's that's that's meaningful and matterful here. Matterful? I don't know. That's maybe a word. Anyway, it says there is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness that this person speaks well, which he witnesses of me, is true. Talking about John the Baptist. See, John the Baptist went around and spoke of Jesus and said, "Yeah." He's good. Go follow him. He even told his own disciples, hey, I'm diminishing and he's rising. Go follow him. Go do it. And it says, you you have sent to John and he has bore witness of the truth. So he spoke well of Jesus. Yet I do not receive testimony. This word Marteia, it's the same word. Witness and testimony is the same word, but it's a little different. This word, Martea, means to present evidence. So, so one person speaks well of, like, I go, well, that genie, she's a really good person, but I don't have any evidence she's a good person. I just spoke of it. I mean, I know a lot of bad people that, that I mean, I personally know them, and then somebody will come along and say, well, that's a good person. And I have to go, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, right, Uh uh-huh, that person's a good person. They spoke well of them, but they didn't present any evidence that they were a good person. They just were making small talk. See, this other person that testifies, this person of the Holy Spirit, he presents evidence of Jesus' goodness. Of who Jesus is. And see it says here. That he doesn't receive. Evidence from man. But I say these things to you. That you may be saved. He that. He was the burning. And the shining lamp. And you were willing for a time. To rejoice in his light. This is talking about. John the Baptist. This is actually talking about. People actually said. John's doing some pretty cool stuff over here. Well, let's go do this. But the moment he started speaking against them, whoa, I don't like him anymore. Verse 36 says, but I have a greater witness than John for the works that the father has given me to finish the work, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the father has sent me and the father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form But you do not have his words living, abiding in you, because whom you sent, he sent, you do not believe. A lot of words, a lot of stuff here. Essentially what he said was, the Holy Spirit has come to you, knocked on your door, but you haven't seen him, heard from him or anything. You're not listening to him. The true one Holy Spirit is trying to talk to everyone about God's love and about who Jesus is. It's his job. In fact, John chapter 15 says, But when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. Essentially, that's the Holy Spirit's job. He's knocking on people's Loves you. Do you know that that this right here is that they heard it, the Holy Spirit came and knocked on the door, but they didn't open the door and they didn't let the Holy Spirit come live. See, that's the purpose, that's the point, is that once we hear the Holy Spirit and we allow Him to live in us, once He does that, then now we have a constant witness, somebody that presents evidence. Of God's love to us. That presents evidence of what God wants us to do. See, that's the purpose. That's the point. When we hear about Jesus from the Holy Spirit, we have evidence. But when we hear from man, see, I can sit here and talk all day long. We might have somebody that could be in here or could be listening. And they're going, I just don't know about that Jesus, God. But I'm listening to Dusty. He's talking really well of Jesus. I I like Dusty. I want to hear what he's got to say. But I didn't provide any evidence. I can't go in and provide evidence to these people. I can't show up and say, let me show you what's happened in my life. Some people might go, hey, I like what's happened in your life. I can show my life as evidence. But I'm still only speaking well. It's the Holy Spirit that comes and He's able to connect that gap. He's able to fill the gap and show evidence to each and every person of what Jesus does. See, this is the beauty of having the Holy Spirit, is because we don't know God's love until the Holy Spirit has shown it to us. We have to have the Holy Spirit. Show us God's love. Because I can sit here and talk to you about God's love all day long. But if the Holy Spirit's not knocking on your door, He's not telling you. See, what happens is, is that when I say it, the Holy, and somebody goes, oh, God loves me. Well, that's because the Holy Spirit's sitting there going, yep, this is what it looks like to you. Because there's no words. There's nothing that I can do. Yeah, I'm going to do this real quickly. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, verse 2, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians 2, 4. I'm actually going to back up here. And it says, verse 1, and it says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come to you with excellent speech of wisdom, declaring to you testimony of God. He's saying, I didn't, I didn't do that. I didn't come and pre- present this evidence. This same word testimony, it says, I didn't, I didn't provide you with evidence. I couldn't. There's no way I can do it. He said, for I determined in verse 2, Not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He goes, all I can do is just speak well of Him and tell you, hey, this guy came and died for your sins on the cross. And it says, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. He said, I didn't know what to do or say. There's nothing I can convey to you that gives you this point I'm sitting here just like a man and I'm trying to tell you the love of God because it's insufficient for me to be able to use words for you to understand. And it says here in verse four, and my speech and my preaching was not in persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. You know, words alone is insufficient. God's power has to come into each and every one of us and has to say, I love you in order for you to know it. There's no way for us to know it any other way. See, just like martyrdom, we need to be able to speak well of people also. In Matthew 5.30, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 5.43, it says, you have heard it said, you shall love, this word love is agape. It means to choose your neighbor and hate, that's word miso, is to detest your enemy. But I say do you, love your enemy, bless those who curse you and do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you this word bless is eulogio it's the same word as eulogy do you know that when somebody dies you know you can speak well of them so that's sort of like a eulogy but this whole blessing means that i get to i get to speak well of them but I also get to speak to them. This is this is what affected me. This is the this is what my affect what affected me. I remember when, when my nana passed away I went and I spoke from my heart about who she was how it blessed me. She's dead. She went on to be with Jesus. I'm sitting here in this earth and I'm saying, this is the blessing that I have to be able to show you is that the thing that affected me. It was what affected me that I'm able to give back as that blessing. It's not just speaking well. It's not just providing evidence. This is my eulogy. This is how I'm supposed to speak to those that hate me You think man how do I do that Very simple You know When you're around people that detest you Despise you, hate you You know what you need to do Is you need to tell them who they can be How that would bless you You know if somebody is is taking drugs or they're an alcoholic or there's something that's going on in their life, you go and say, this is not who you are. You are a Christian. You just have to believe. Jesus himself can come in and fix all these problems. And you are not these things if you'll just believe. See, that's what a true eulogy is. It's what would bless me about the situation? Well, if I hear of somebody that's an alcoholic and a, a drug addict that, that may have issues of any kind, what blesses me is to hear that they're not that anymore. So that's what I have to speak. I have to eulogize that out to everybody and tell them, this is who you could be. This is what would bless me is that if you were no longer those things. In verse 44, it says, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless those. Speak well of them. Speak to them. Bless them. Speak things of not who they are. It's a little bit like faith. Believe those things which be not as though they were. Well, we have to speak those things which be not as though they were in other people. That's how we eulogize them. See, this right here in verse 45 it says that you may be sons of your father in heaven. Do you know why you would be sons of father of your father in heaven if you do this? It's because that's what God's doing. He looks at all the wretched people on this earth and he goes, "They can be my sons and my daughters." He speaks well of them or he wouldn't have sent Jesus. He just kill us all at the flood and said, done with that, we'll try something else. But no, he himself, acting as a son and a daughter of God, we speak what those things which be not as though they were into other people's lives. We bless those people. We give to those people in ways in which that it changes them. See, that's a part of the choosing of God's agape love is that we are planting a seed into someone and saying, I'm planting the seed of the opposite of what you're doing. And it says here, here, in verse 46, it says, for if you love, this word agape, those who agape you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same thing. And if you greet your brother only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Eulogizing people, putting a seed into them, choosing them, not just, oh, man. I mean, how many times have we seen somebody and you walk away and you go, man, they're a mess. <laughs> oh, man. Man. That's that's the opposite of eulogizing. That's just saying, yep, they're never going to get out of that. Hate be them. No. When we choose people, we put into people. We tell them the things that they could be, not the things that they are. That's what starts drawing them because you know what? The moment they see that, the Holy Spirit can work with that. The Holy Spirit cannot work. With somebody that's an alcoholic and you go, yep, I guess you're just always going to be an alcoholic. I feel bad for you, buddy. There's not much the Holy Spirit can do with that. Sorry. But if you go, nope, I believe you're more than that. I believe you can be more than that. You just have to choose because I choose you. You know, one of the things here that I wanted to point out, because we're being perfect You know, uh, as God is perfect in Romans uh, 417, as it is written, I have made thee a father of nations before whom he believed. Even God who quickened the dead called those things which be not as though they were. Abraham was a fatherless person. And God was going around calling him a father of many nations. See, this is the way God does us. God comes along and says, "You know what, Dusty? You have ADD and dyslexia, but you can be an engineer." And he brings things back up to me. My mom kept a book where I said I wanted to be a computer engineer. I wrote it down when I was five years old. That's what I wanted to be, but I've been told by all these other people, "Well, you know, you just got learning disabilities. It's not for you." Well, guess what? Mom believed it. Mom and Dad went through, you know, I don't know how many places y'all sent me to, you know, learn how to study and all that, and it didn't really work. But at the end of the day, I got my GED, and God started putting back into me. Because God kept telling me, you can do all things through Christ Jesus that strengthens you. Wow. That took me all the way up from a GED to a master's degree in computer engineering. You know, God constantly is telling us that we can do more, that we can be more. And he doesn't just go, oh yeah, well, Abraham, you're 90 years old and you can't have kids. Well, I'm going to go find somebody else. No. He called him the father of many nations. And he called those things which be not as though they were. Love is in the air, Have you ever heard that? And I've got this picture, and it's Sheldon, and he goes, wrong, nitrogen, oxygen, and carbon dioxide's in the air. Well, guess what, that's true. There is no amount of love that just is spreading around. You know, Cupid's not running around shooting people. Ooh, no, love is not in the air, love is in choice. Love is in us choosing each other every single day. But you've got to love yourself first. You know, that's the thing is that when, it, when he says um, in Matthew 19, 19, it says, Honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. I think a lot of people are loving people the way that they love themselves. Most people hate themselves. Statistically, this is the worst time that I've ever seen. We live in the most richest nation ever and we should just all be singing Kumbaya and really enjoying ourselves because even people who are in poverty eat a meal every single day. That doesn't happen in India. Doesn't, you know what? And they're happier than we are. Man, you can go over there and talk to them And they're like, yeah, I got to eat a meal this week. Ooh, that's great. Well, what we do is we sit there and go, well, I didn't, Judy got more than I did. I mean, I got a pepperoni pizza. She got it with anchovies. Hmm. How many people in here are going, "Mm." (coughs) hmm? No, people aren't getting that. (laughs) These people are eating full blown every single day, multiple times a day. They're the fattest people out there. And you know what? They're upset. They're, they're, they believe that they've got more, that there should be more given to me. And they could be multi billionaires, and you watch all these billionaires running around here, which there's more than there's ever been. They're the richest people in the world right now and they're all upset about something. They're not trying to help the world. They're just saying the world sucks. Wow, you got a billion dollars, what are you doing about it? Nothing, absolutely, terribly nothing. But see, we have to choose to be chosen. Well, that's a, that's a weird thing. We have to love ourselves before we can love others. We have to let others, God especially, love us. Love casts out fear. So once we can actually love ourselves and we can be in this, then love casts out fear. And you know, First John four eighteen says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear, because love involves, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. You know, I used to be a little bit bothered by that last statement. Oh, I've got to be made perfect in love. Yeah, I've got to be chosen and i got to choose. There's sometimes that when I'm afraid, I'm like, I just want to be afraid. I want to hear some amens because most of the time when somebody's afraid about something and you come walking up to them and you go, Mom, it's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. The first thing that comes into your mind is, it's not going to be okay. Leave me alone. I just want to sit here and I just want to cry. (coughs) See, perfect love, though, casts out fear. And so when people are choosing to love you, a lot of times we lash out, I don't want to be loved. I don't want to. I want to wallow in my fear. See, love. Once you actually are made perfect in it, now you have no more fear. You know how many times I've been afraid and then all of a sudden somebody sends me a text or my wife tells me it's going to be okay or whatever, and then it dissipates. My fear starts to leave me. It's because I'm not alone in my fear. I'm together in my love. That means other people choose to choose me and I choose to be chosen. And those choosing of the chosen get to be chosen of the chosen and we all get along. We start chewing the chosen. I guess so. Love and truth grows us. So we have to be in this love and truth. Ephesians 4.15, but the speaking of truth and love may be, May grow up in all things unto Him who is the Head, Christ. See the thing is, is that when we are part of this truth, then we're now in Christ. Do you know that that's just I, I chose to be in Christ. I, I I chose to not be of just the world, but I chose to be of Christ. The truth allows me to be chosen in Christ. And of course here, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, love does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs, does not delight in evil, rejoices in the truth, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves, and love never fails Each and everybody in here, I've chosen you. I choose you because I put the truth of Jesus Christ out. No matter what you say, no matter what you do, no matter what you feel, no matter how things are going in your life, I'm going to continue to choose you. The Holy Spirit is going to continue to choose you. We just have to be allowed to be chosen. We have to receive. And then you know what? That bubbles out of us, and then we choose others. We choose others, and they start to bear fruit of God's love. Amen. Did y'all learn something today?